0: anyone that's unwilling to be agile right now is going to lose. I'm Margaret Kelsey. I am Devin Bramhall. And this is Don't Say Content, created and produced in partnership with Share Your Genius. Huge
1: shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. Thank you so much. Thank you for believing in us early on, supporting and making this podcast come to life.
0: And if you, dear listeners, are thinking about bringing an idea or your brand to life and scaling it, I'd recommend having a quick little convo with our favorite people at Share Your Genius. Okay.
1: Margaret, Devin, what
0: what did we talk about
1: in this episode? Like what
0: a black hole for both of us where I'm pretty sure that we didn't believe that we recorded this episode and I have no idea what we actually said in it but I think we were talking about the future of content marketing which feels big feels like a big yeah. episode
1: yes but I have really strong opinions about this I had strong opinions about it when I was at animals and I think even now I'm really leaning into this concept it's a combination of a lot of things like current state of the world, uh, tools, et cetera, that like my belief is that to our benefit, moving towards a sort of media first strategy. And I do not mean creating a media company. I need everyone to know that. That is absolutely every marketer's worst nightmare or every good marketer's worst nightmare. (laughs) No, but I think that given how easy it is to create video, for example, how much of those platforms are sort of designed to boost creators and how easy, it's sort of like we're back to the days of, the early days of SEO, when like there was just a lot of opportunity in it. I think that's the case for media now, and with all these like AI and transcription tools, it makes it a lot easier to like go media first, trade on this whole, you know, we've talked about this before, like personal brand, influencers at companies, really helping relate to the audiences, their customers. And then translating that into written content that is then optimized for whatever you're doing to grow with written content. That is like where my head is at right now. I think it's efficient. I think it's smart. I think it's using your people to grow the company, which technology is sort of making more necessity because there are a huge group of people who don't want to talk to chatbots, et cetera.
0: It sounds like, it sounds like everything is changing. Everything has been changing. Everything will continue to change. And what content strategy has been over the last decade is not what we should be focusing on in the future and that there is a different different strategy that we can start to utilize. All right, let's explore it.
1: It's really like a media-led strategy, right? It's like the strategy is flipping from the written word first to media first and how it's like media first that's translated into supporting written content that's either delivered yep. by like help assisted by ai and ghostwriters or it's thought leadership i
0: completely agree with that i and i've had a couple conversations like and i advised just like a one-off call with this company a couple days ago where they were like trying they were like debating going into this building up an organic strategy for these keywords that like all of their examples were like shit that i wrote at app like five years ago and they're trying to like usurp those articles. And I'm like, you could spend a lot of time there and maybe get close, but like, I don't think you're going to be like, I know how they're managing that too. They're refreshing it and like whatever. And I'm like in six to 12 months, organic is going to be blown up, especially if your um, competitors are doing like generative AI posts and competing there. And if it's like high, whatever. So anyways, it's just a distribution channel, right? Like organic SEO, focused work it's just content through a distribution channel and that distribution channel is changing and becoming super saturated and my advice would be don't try to compete there try to compete in these other channels and distribute your content there so i was seeing that happening and there was a really interesting twitter post by peter caputa He's CEO at like Data something. Anyways, I'll send it to you. But he was talking about how he's talked to a bunch of content agencies and like, like I've already content agencies are realizing that this shit is broken. Yeah, Ashley. Yeah. So just I sent it to sent that guy. That the guy that I advise because I'm like, this is what I'm telling you is like, don't try to compete here. Right. And I think it perfectly aligns up to what we said before about if this is happening, what remains as a defensible content strategy is insights attached to lived experiences, personal brands saying, I have this opinion. I have this thing. You can trust me because I'm a human and I am like assigning myself to this insight. So it's like the, the human attachment to lived insights, which I think is personal brand, will become more important than ever. And proprietary data and insights, like those data reports and things like that, like that can still be proprietary, but you would then distribute it through lots of different types of distribution channel. So then when we think about like the media aspect of this, like absolutely we should be thinking about like rich media and how to distribute it through these different channels rather than this like inbound model that was so focused on SEO and organic.
1: Yeah. It's funny because the piece of the specific piece you just said about the uh, lived experiences and attributing those thoughts and insights to an individual is just what Ashley and I ratted about on LinkedIn Live. Because she yeah. she oh, came at it from a completely different angle. But I love when that kind of alignment happens where we're all thinking kind of the similar thing. Ours was a piece of what you were just saying. So that was just one piece. But she was saying the same thing. She's talking about ghostwriting and The challenges and problems with the old days of when posts were sometimes written by the brand. Yeah. (laughs) And how that doesn't work, you know, so. um,
0: Definitely doesn't work anymore. But like, like, I don't even think, yeah, I think blogs are kind of dead, right? Like, does it need to be written content in an article form? And the main distribution channel is search? I don't think so.
1: No one cares about your website. No one cares about your blog.
0: there's a lot of marketers, including you, like six months ago, that would have been unwilling to say that publicly because their whole career and company is built around that still working. You know what I mean? I did actually six months ago is right after I left. And that's exactly what I said. Well, I was seven at- months ago, seven months ago, eight months ago. It's just funny you know I mean? when you said that because like, I'm like,
1: oh my God, you hit the nail on the head. Like I quite literally <laughs> left. And that's the first thing I said. I was like, websites don't matter and blogs are dead. But this is the other interesting nuance to this is that the that whole fight about owned audience and moving off the reliance of platforms to your website is now migrating back to because even with us and don't say content, the experiments that we've been running, what I've been talking to folks about is just the challenge of are we trying to drive people from these channels to our podcast or are we try to grow these channels as our own unique business tool okay. to help us grow don't say content as you know more than just a podcast yeah so
0: and i think it's like it's almost a fool's errand to try to do to try to make people do something else than what they're doing especially if the algorithm is prioritizing keeping them in the app then just embrace it and say that's a channel and that's its own thing. And there's not a CTA, I mean, there can always be a CTA to go listen to the podcast, but you can't expect people to do that because the algorithms are prioritizing people to stay in these platforms too. So why fight it? Just grow your thing there and grow it in a bunch of places that if somebody turns off TikTok, then we still have YouTube and whatever. But like, I think it's like about, you're shaking your head now.
1: It gives platforms too much control. And, you know, it isn't an all or nothing. So we can't just say, we've like, I agree with you. Right now, we should just be experimenting with the platforms and their own tools and restraints. Absolutely. But it is a fool's errand to, because from my standpoint, if I'm running a business and I'm completely reliant on a platform, and let's use TikTok as an example that is going through a lot of regulation stuff. And it actually is a difficult sell to, you know, if I'm basing a, a significant part of my growth strategy or even any part of it, and I have to represent that to my investors, to my board, to anyone in a business strategy, I do have to explain why I think it's okay to take that risk and how what I'm going to do if I grow to a million followers and it gets shut off, Elon Musk takes it over and it turns insane. It's a legitimate challenge if you're going to do it but i agree with yeah. you that you should do it you should invest in those platforms and try to grow them on their own terms now anyway because i think the short-term benefit you get from that if you do it efficiently and like is probably more than if you don't but i also don't know
0: this goes back to like the difference between brand and conversion is i think if we're building brand through these channels, right? And we're not necessarily as worried because of our business models about conversion. And we're just thinking about like brand and affinity, let's say, then that's an okay thing to do on these channels to build them themselves. Because let's say TikTok gets banned or whatever. We then, as those folks' attention moves from TikTok to another platform that we're on, it's easier to capture that audience because they have already seen us, know us, whatever, and maybe even have already subscribed across different channels to us. And I and think that like they the go brand to channel. Then
1: you're assuming they go to another they're channel. They're not going to non. Well, hold on, but that's that is untrue. So you're assuming they go to another channel that we're on. I also assume that there's a limited number of channels we're talking about with Web three and decentralization is already happening. In that there are multiple other platforms, Blue Sky just came out, you know, there's different and even within platforms, there's different communities and groups like discords and all that. And so it actually in this world of decentralization, it wouldn't be as easier to recapture that audience because we don't know where they would go. And if they scatter to the wind, now we're looking at having to invest in multiple platforms to try to recapture that same audience. We were able to do it one before. And not all of those platforms are easy yeah. to use. Well, I
0: think we should always do it in multiple. Like, I don't think we should put our eggs in one basket.
1: But you remember that from the early days, Margaret. Like, do you really believe that? Because back in the day when we would write a blog post, there was like, how do we transition to a Quora thing? How do we comment on other things to with our article? Posting on growth hackers, posting it on, you know, and how much return that like that. It took a lot of work to distribute one blog post. I don't necessarily yeah. agree with that. I think that. The spray and pray days are over, hopefully. And it's better to have a smaller group of platforms that you invest in more deeply than going. I mean, that's our strategy. You and me. Like yeah. we're not going on. But Twitter what I'm saying or- too
0: is like the distribution, the purpose of distribution is different. It used to be we would distribute the link to the blog post in all of those places to try to drive traffic back to the website. What we're saying now is we're distributing the content natively in the channel without as much concern about what we're trying to get them to then go to, right? It could be that it's our business model to do that, but it could just be that, like, that is now the case. Its saturation is more important because then conversion will happen easily based on somebody's own insights and um, and triggers and whatnot. But it used to be that we would drop the blog post in because we were trying to drive people to the blog post so we could drive them to the website so we can drive them to the, you know, CTA, to the thing, to the whatever. And now it's like it's more about spreading ideas. I don't know.
1: You're talking about spreading ideas. Right. When you said content earlier, you said native content. What you really were saying is you, you we're sharing just we're sharing our don't idea. Say, say it, don't say it. Uh, we're sharing our idea in multiple places and multiple different ways, and by doing it natively, we're continuing to like iterate on it, analyze it, find more nuances. And so it's actually instead of just saying the idea and packaging it once and trying to get that same form out everywhere, what you're calling a blog post. We're, you know, and let's use us as an example so that's easier. We're saying, okay, we have an idea about something. We talk about it on the blog post. Right now, in the early days, it's been take clips from that, post it on these other platforms so other people can hear it. Because we think, Mm -hmm. you know, we know that we're talking to people who already know us on LinkedIn, but we want to see if our messages are interesting, applicable to folks who we don't already know. And so we're choosing to put pieces of it on these other platforms. We're using pieces because we know that those, specifically YouTube, we've looked at the analytics. Most of the people who actually end up seeing it are people who are seeing short form. We're taking the information from that and saying, okay, but is this really helpful? And so then we, you know, our newest idea around instead of just taking clips, what if we distill this down to a few key points that we share And either we say it live and create those videos native in platform, or we create a shortened version of it for those platforms to help make sure more people hear ideas to again, see, are we connecting with people outside of our network or are we just connecting with the same people? And does that mean that we're missing something? Therefore, do we need to talk to more people, do more research uh, to find out what we're missing?
0: Yeah, that's the nail on the
1: head. Ahrefs taught me SEO. It was our infrastructure at Animals. Yeah. Like that was part of our like tech stack and everybody at the company used it. And I just remember growing up at startups and nobody was ever there to teach you your job. And you had to learn a lot along the way. Help Scout was where I really had to get my shit together with SEO strategy. And I was like, what do I do? And one of our growth marketers walked me through HREFS. The UI looks like it's a lot, but then you go and start using it and it's like all logic. It's all logic. Like it's all marketing logic, the way it works. And so you're kind of like, oh, you're just like giving me all the answers.
0: And it's also the fact, the reason that I feel like it feels like that is because it is so powerful. Like you literally have access to information that I had no idea that I could actually access. Competitors, keywords, how they're ranking, like absolutely powerful stuff in order to understand how your content and brand programs are. So Ahrefs, thank you so much for not only a fantastic product, but also sponsoring season two. Yay!
1: And also helping me achieve my first big objective at Help Scout, it was pretty important and aggressive, and it kept me in my job
0: a little bit longer. So, <laughs> so thank you for Devin's salary back then. A <laughs> <laughs> don't say a a refs. Say don't say a refs. Don't say a refs. Say a refs. A question after that is like there is a spot for conversion right there is a spot to like get them to actually do the thing that we want them to do let's pretend now that we had a product that we were actually trying to sell on the back of this thought leadership thing like there is a piece for that i also think that by its very nature now these platforms are making it easier to convert immediately to do the thing that you want them to do. Like you think about now, like I've now opened up so many stores in Instagram when I get like an ad and it's like, you can like click on the ad to see more. And it's, you don't even go to the, like the website opened up in Instagram. It's like literally like an Instagram store with the products in it and you can buy it right from there. Yes. I bought many things from there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. These platforms themselves are compressing what used to be I need to drive somebody to a blog post so then I can drive them to the website, then I can drive them through my conversion flow on my website to now converting in the platform itself.
1: You're talking about two different yeah, things. Yeah, I'm talking so. B2C. Right, which doesn't have necessarily the same journey. If you're a B2C company, you weren't really necessarily writing a long-form blog post to put people to your website. Like you were selling. people did. Sure, but like that wasn't really it, right? And so I think that the big question is how does B2B utilize this. These sort of short form reels, TikTok, YouTube shorts, et cetera. And even you and I have experienced our own challenges. Like we're getting interesting information from those platforms as we explore them because it's just a curiosity thing for us. And so, you know, for example, from Substack, the most amount of non-direct or non like sort of personally referred traffic from us are subscriptions rather have come from other people recommending us. So like Neil O'Grady, Maria, thank you so much. So we've gotten a couple subscriptions from both of them. But when you go to YouTube where you see the most activity, that's where we're getting the most likes and views and bookmarks and comments, even though, again, these numbers are small. So just bear with me on that.
0: Stop saying that. They're huge. She yeah. is gorgeous. She is perfect. Well, we've been doing this for a few days. So let me
1: also qualify that. we. This is not, ben, this is like probably just seven days today. But those aren't going anywhere. Like if you look through the data on YouTube, for example, for the shorts specifically, let's take those. If something gets 150 views, the 30% are actually viewing it versus, sorry, it's like 150 they see it. 30% see it. are viewing it.
0: <laughs> New YouTube metric here, folks. Hey they
1: see it. <laughs> 70% aren't. Like they're, they scroll past. And then of the people who view, the number of people who return to watch another one of ours is like nothing. And so then you look at, right? And those are the things you have to start to pay attention to because if we're going to conversions, people basically are are discovering us through the algorithm. So it's basically a search thing. And what we're seeing is a bounce rate. And we haven't learned how to engage these people, and that's going to take time and effort because we haven't figured out what our own formula is, what we how we use it. We're just putting things out there and testing. So we have to go through that whole exercise before we can even think about if we had a product how we would convert them. Unless we were using the sponsorship options which goes back to okay if you're b2b and you're trying to gain credibility and increase conversions, one approach is hey we're going to create some thoughtful series native to let's say youtube we're also going to put a paid campaign on youtube and if you're saturating through organic videos that are meant to engage the community and delight maybe they're a little bit more playful and they're targeting the same audiences, ones who are organically intended to reach the same people, ones paid. That to me could be interesting because you've got the one that's really meant to drive action. The other one is meant to drive brand affinity, and those together, the paid and organic together on that platform to me could do for B2B what you're talking about.
0: Are you saying that there can be paid campaigns that are actually for like brand awareness and affinity?
1: And you could also do conversion campaigns there too, right? It's like if you are already, if your organic campaign is geared towards affinity and you can also put money behind that to increase your reach. So you're like, you could create a really big holistic campaign using that platform to increase sort of the amount of people who is reached, get that affinity through some of the organic content and then work through the people that then are starting to engage over and over again, who are starting to like clearly like you in return then you use that additional paid campaign to try and convert those to yep. some other action that brings them closer to your company.
0: Yeah. So I had that exact question come up this week on a call where a founder asked me where paid sits in terms of like brand and conversion. And I was like, oh, it can be both, right? It could oh, yeah. sit in either. Like it is just a tactic for to increase reach for either activity.
1: Yeah, for every, every platform. We could be trying to put money behind don't say content videos to get more people to see them and there's multiple different ways to do that right so the calls to action on each of these platforms to your point about leaning into them and what they're offering youtube has you know you can use the end screen and then there's different things that you can put related videos and they can be your i think your own related. like there are so many options on youtube alone and i've done a little less looking into tiktok but same with instagram there's different ways that you can reach folks there's different and it's like more user-friendly than it used to be using, at least for me using Google Ads. I was terrible at it. And this goes back to your point and how right you are actually now that I think about it. If you deploy these platforms in that way and you build that following and learn how to convert them, even if the platform goes away over time, you can say, well, of that following that we kept replacing, we we converted 20% to owned over time. And of that, we know we can typically over time convert a certain percent, like you know, one or two or 5% of that to paying customers when we keep them with us. Actually, wow, this is what happens when I hang out with CROs for a few days. I'm like, well.
0: Start talking conversions. Numbers, data. Making my brain hurt. Uh, I'm actually really excited about it. Like this sounds so cool. Devin, I wanted to take a moment and shout out some of our amazing listeners that have left us five-star reviews. Caro Kelso wrote, absolutely love how the episodes mix battle-tested season marketing wisdom with the messy human feelings of navigating your career and doing the work that matters. A funny, engaging, and enjoyable listen. How about that? That's pretty cool. That makes me feel all the warm fuzzies. Do you feel (laughs) battle-tested? That's the real question in life battle tested like worn down
1: (laughs) you know what's crazy is for the first time no I wish for every person who wrote me a message like a text or a LinkedIn note or like saw me in person and said so which keeps happening it's like happening all the time now I just want to say like
0: put it in the app (laughs) Put it on my right review. Put it on. Tell your three. people. Don't tell me, tell your people. Tell everybody, you know. <laughs> shout it from the rooftop, please. Well, if you dear listeners want to give us a review, doesn't have to be 5 stars. It can be constructive if you want, but we prefer 5 stars. We might shout your out your review on air. Well, I'm glad to hear too that you've been talking to CROs that are open-minded enough to rip down these playbooks that have been existing and try something new because I think that is like the biggest hurdle for us to get over right now. And the thing that I keep coming back to is there are also a bunch of marketers whose livelihood depends on this model not getting broken. And I don't think I've really... I don't think that wave of understanding hit me until this week, where I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of marketers that, like, that's the reason why there's not a lot of scrappy generalist marketers. And the reason that folks have specialized is to then, you know, whether they have their own agency or their whatever, like, create this business model for themselves. And it's not advantageous to them to recognize this change in. I don't know, market shift, whatever we're calling it, this like change in human behavior, this change in whatever, because like there's still a lot of folks that want to sell you on an organic strategy or a SEO focused strategy. And there's some businesses where that still will work for the next couple years if your industry isn't really developed and you don't have competitors that are starting to compete in those spaces. But if you're in B2B tech where there's been other businesses writing about your subject matter for the last 10 years, is the next 6-12 months the time to spend building an organic SEO-first content strategy to try to build a big inbound funnel for your PLG motion? No. (laughs) And you no, love PLG, you like you're a big playbook. PLG advocate, right? So like
1: that coming from you, I think. Yeah, and no, but sh-
0: that's not going to build the funnel that you need. You're going to literally spend a lot of money and a lot of time and you are going to be unable to build the the funnel that you need for a PLG motion in a SEO first oh. way right now, the way that yeah. you could have done it five years ago. You're not going to be able to do that right now. No.
1: And I do think from what I heard, at least there is this thing that I think I wouldn't say that content folks are and CROs are like at odds at all, but I do think that we both get in get in our own heads about be- our <laughs> expertise. You know, one of the things I hear from like CROs at this conference, some of whom are my friends, like their shit's still working, and so there is an argument yeah. to be made for some of the old stuff that's been going on. I think the thing that they're looking at is it going to work forever, and how do we shift? what we do, to because they're thinking about the benefits of technology, of AI. They're not sitting there crying about the fact that it exists. They are, sorry, at least the folks that I was talking to. Sorry, let me qualify that. This is a very curious bunch of people. Really awesome conference. Thank you, Pep. You make the best conferences. But they were, they're talking about building things. They're talking about evolving and adapting and trying to find new solutions, which I think is where everybody should be at versus oh yeah like how do we continue to make SEO work because I was at so the way the conference is structured it's um similar to the way Boston Content used to do it so we used to have for our events we would have four or five tables and each table was a subtopic of the night to really drive uh, or to facilitate deep conversations about specific challenges so that people could you know And there'd be conversations around the table led by someone who is sort of a moderator, knows a lot about that area. And that's exactly what this event, uh, the main part of this event was like. And somebody asked me or asked the group, when you're a newcomer in a competitive space, how do you differentiate your marketing strategy? Which I can't believe that question is still being asked. Because to me, not that it was a dumb question, it was a smart question. But I just can't believe that One, why does your company exist then? If you're coming in hot to a space that's really saturated, even from a marketing standpoint, like, did your founder think about that? And I think it's truly that there should be an inherent differentiator, which you can capitalize on to find different communities in the channels where they are. And I assume you already understand a lot of what their challenges are. Otherwise, this product, you wouldn't have come up with this product in the first place. And so your point of differentiation is leaning into the things that haven't been talked about yet, leaning into the questions that haven't been answered, which is exactly what you're talking about. It's like, we're not just going to go to try to rank for the same keywords that our competitors are. We're going to go and serve the people who have not been served by the existing product and their content that's currently ranking above everybody else. And will be hard to usurp.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, I mean, that goes back to when we've talked, to about the... Culture, brand, content community, flywheel that then brings insights back into your organization when you're so in touch with creating content with and for your community. That content, you can create it at the forefront of what's happening in the industry, right? Like what is changing? What are you seeing? What is like the biggest challenge? What did you just learn about that you wish you had heard about? And creating content in that space around where the industry is going can oftentimes be so much richer than looking at keyword analysis and figuring out what things have been ranking and trying to compete against those keywords, right? Like go out into your community and figure out what words they're using, what words they just learned, what you know topics that they're only talking about now. And then that can be a really strong organic strategy for the near term, because also if it's stuff that people are just starting to talk about and words that they're just starting to use, the, the generative AI won't be trained on that knowledge. So it's also future-proofed to be able to create content on that cusp of like yeah. what is changing right now what are you seeing right now what are looking forward into the future what should we expect
1: and how that oh gosh i mean this is a whole other topic about how as much as i, I i'm very excited about generative ai just seeing how questions are answered it's information aggregated thus anonymized thus unsourced yep. thus useless but for having that new idea that AI will need to train on in the first place, but that's a whole other conversation.
0: I think this is really starting to take shape in my own brain around everything that's changing and everything that's shifting. And it kind of comes, it just, it comes back to this unwillingness to be agile, I guess. Like who is unwilling? I mean, anyone that's unwilling to be agile right now is going to lose, whether it's a company, a founder, a a head of marketing, a CRO, like it comes back to like agility is the core trait that I think people should be looking for, hiring for an an unwillingness to accept accept the status quo and a curiosity to sniff out the status quo is probably the best future-proofed skill set that somebody can have.
1: Like future-proofing your idea. Like, are you solving a now problem? Or are you solving a future problem? Or does your solution of the now problem have a built-in future solution potential that you can lean into? Because I think that's the whole challenge of the rapid pace of technology. And it used to be that, and maybe this is just in certain spaces because I don't know how, evol- how what's evolving in different areas of tech or science. So, but at least in our industry, with the pace of change only increasing you have less time to sort of come up with idea, take up space with your product in that space for all before you get competitors because it's increasingly easy. Even with AI's ability to generate code, the now problem is almost a marketing strategy for your future business idea. And then the future is what you're really trying to build. And then looking, but look, I'm going a little bit sideways here, but back to us because I think that we keep Our story is representative of a strategy that works, which is we went into a very deeply saturated market where there are (laughs) hundreds of people talking about content marketing on podcasts and there are many women doing it. And there are people who have even sort of more backgrounds and even bigger than ours. They could probably list off a ton of brands, Mm -hmm. right? More than more than even us and probably the same or more success. And so we said, okay, it's not enough that we have something to say in this space. We need to add something. We need to add something that new and we need to add something that new that people actually that the folks that we want to talk to ourselves actually care and will benefit
0: literally <laughs> only us. Yeah.
1: But yeah, and then we found this sliver And the impact was immediate and surprised even us. We were like, oh, you do want to listen to our podcast?
0: I know. We were like, well, if it ends up being that podcast that 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 guy makes that he only that he doesn't share with anyone, what was that thing? That story? I was like, well, that's a funny outcome, too.
1: (laughs) This is okay. Robert Morton makes a podcast called A Podcast with Zero Listeners. And I love it. I've only heard him tell me about it. Right now, it's still a legend. I asked him to someday send me an episode. It's a podcast that he does with, for his family, with his family. And I heard that like, he retold some excerpts. And it sounds like my favorite podcast of all time. And I haven't listened to it yet.
0: It's so fun. It's so fun. A family podcast would be a fun idea.
1: You know, when I was a kid, dating myself, our pantry that was attached to the kitchen had a stereo player, a tape player, a radio with a microphone with a cord that you plugged into it. And my parents, they were in the kitchen or even sometimes not. I would go in there, hook up the microphone. I had to stand on a stool to be able to be high enough. I would put on Michael Bolton songs. (laughs) <laughs> and do the Michael Bolton show. It's like play songs and then talk on the microphone. It about- it or
0: was it just a karaoke machine? No, it was a tape player, but it has the speakers. So it would record it?
1: Oh, no. And thank God. Oh, yeah.
0: but So, like, kind of like I'm saying karaoke machine style where the microphone just like projected yeah. out rather yep. than like it wasn't recording you singing Michael Bolton songs, which would have been exceptional as well.
1: Oh. Yeah, so not only was I playing Michael Bolton, which I don't think anyone appreciated, but that I was talking about Michael Bolton shows. Who doesn't appreciate Michael Bolton? Come on. I mean, back then, a lot of people did. Big fan. That hair. Big fan.
0: fan.
1: (laughs) Here's what's coming up next on Don't Say Content.
0: You know what, Devin? I'm a little apprehensive about this, if I can be honest. Because I think that there is... I think it is a little nuanced. It's also very ego driven. And so I think that's my biggest anxiety around our conversation today is there are egos involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And anytime that you touch an ego, you might get burned.
1: (laughs) Okay, y'all. That's a wrap. Thank you as always for listening. We'll be
0: back next week. And just remember, you're doing great. You're doing great. 30%
1: of you are doing great. The rest, you got to get your shit together. Come on.
0: You know, you know which side you're on this week. You know. (laughs) You know. See you next week. Bye. Bye. You're like, Devin, say less words.
1: (laughs) Shh. Shh.